and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is Axel Wright. How are you doing today, Axel? Pretty damn well. Alright, that's the best way to be. Okay, on today's show we will be discussing our top 10 favorite films of 2017. Now, we won't be doing a top 10 worst because Axel was too cheap to see more than 10 films this year. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, before we start, let's just lay out the ground rules for how we pick movies for our top 10. Uh, For me, I have a special caveat, which I didn't use this year. If I saw the film for the first time this year, and it was good, it can make the list. I do this because, as my dad pointed out in years past, I didn't have a lot of indies on my list. And that's because I didn't get a chance to see them until uh, maybe a year or two after they'd come out. So I put that writer in. Uh, unfortunately, didn't use that much this year, and my oh, biggest requirement—my biggest requirement for making it on my top ten was: Did I enjoy this movie? Did I want to see this movie again? And did I keep thinking about it after I saw it? Axel, what are your qualifications? Well, so as you pointed out, I was too cheap to go to the movies as much as you. Apparently, I mean, I saw. 15 movies that came out this year which for someone who doesn't do it professionally i think is perfectly reasonable that being said looking at like actually constructing a top 10 i just basically sat down and started looking through movies that came out this year which ones i saw and started kind of just ranking them next to each other about how much i feel what i feel about them at the moment i put it together um some of them i might have enjoyed more in the moment but you know opinions change over time so it's really just a matter of what has left the best lasting impression with me, which of course gives an unfair advantage to things I've seen more recently, but there's only so much you can do. Fair enough. All right, I think I saw, well, I know I saw a lot more movies than you this year, so my honorable mention list is a little bit longer. I guess we will start with my number 10, which was a Netflix film, surprisingly. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Netflix doesn't count, but More and more movies are appearing on streaming services, and I'm not opposed to that. I pay for it, and it's cinematic. So my number 10 was The Babysitter, which was a hilarious black comedy, which, as you know, I love. I passed it several times, I remember. It's got a great sense of comedy. It's got some pretty uh, creative violence and gore. Uh, its only real flaw is it's got a mystery that's never really resolved through the course of the movie. Uh, still really enjoyable, great popcorn flick. So that was uh, my number 10. Well, hold on. What's the – I mean, if you're going to talk about it, at least give – I mean, I don't really know what the base plot Oh, is. yeah. I guess I should probably talk about the plot. Uh, the plot is there's this nerdy kid about, I'd say, 15 who has a super hot babysitter he's attracted to who's essentially his best friend. He then finds out that she is planning to sacrifice him in a satanic ritual. Jeez. While being assisted by typical high school tropes. We've got the dumb jock. We've got the cheerleader. We've got the overachieving Asian. It's your standard horror movie setup, but with a wicked sense of humor, which makes it, it turns into a great black comedy. Again, great watch. Hilarious. Its only real flaw is the central mystery is never really resolved. Well, I'll be sure to give it a look-see the next time I'm sitting on my couch feeling uh, sorry for myself and looking for something to kill the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's what Netflix is for. Hmm. 
Well, uh, my number 10 is a uh, blockbuster, technically, which is the Lego Batman movie. So, and I don't really know if there's much to say about it. I mean, there's hard, there's hardly a more overtly corporate franchise than the Lego movies. I mean, I love the first Lego movie. I haven't seen the Ninjago movie yet. So from like a like a, a movie about toys perspective, I was surprised at um, you know how, how good Lego movie originally was. So I wasn't, you know, like low expectations going into Lego Batman. I expected it to be good. And I, I love Will Arnett's uh, take on the Dark Knight. I he is one constantly. of the better Batmans, yes. <laughs> I, I love that it constantly takes the piss out of its own mythology. So I love there's that, uh, I mean, I think, price of admission alone is worth it for that scene where like they cut through all the various ages yeah so uh just the visual effects on that that it actually looks like lego that still got me with the first lego movie is how real that looked well the if you look at the behind the scenes they use a program where they actually have to build everything with real lego pieces Really? That sounds time-consuming. It does. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not sure how many people worked on it or how much that program, like, how it affected it. I just remember seeing, like, a few snippets about that. It, it seems excessive to me. But then again, studios like Leica do stop motion still, which is tedious, but amazing. So, And filmmaking is still an art, whether we want to believe it or not. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the only other thing I'll say about Lego Batman movie, because as far as plot goes, it's it's Batman in Lego forms. This is the Joker, and then there's other uh, entities owned by the same company. That, that That's all you need to know about it. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. But I, I will say that whoever's working at that, that company that did the Lego movie and did uh, Batman uh, Lego movie, and apparently this follows through in Ninjago too, like, there's some serious father issues over there (laughs) that was kind of a theme for a lot of this year's movies and we'll talk to it about it when because i've got a couple on my movie that definitely fit that there are some father issues in hollywood uh number nine for me is another netflix film and a lot of people called it the worst movie of the year and i'm talking about bright oh uh i know that that was generally pretty well hated yeah and i saw it i liked it I'm not 100% sure why it's getting so much hate. Well, My... well if we're going to if we're going to take a movie that you recognize as being overtly hated by much of the population and put it in your top 10, you should take I think some time to uh to address what what might be the reasons why. <laughs> I was getting my number one it's got some issues i will admit i think part of the hatred comes from it being a david ayer film and seeing as how he just came off suicide squad he's kind of got a black eye in hollywood i think that there's also a fair degree of it's popular to hate this thing now i still not i'm no i sound crazy but i was not the only critic that saw this and went and going yeah it wasn't that bad i really kind of think social media went this is the worst movie of the year and everyone went okay it is um, I'm not going to say it doesn't have its flaws. Tonally, it's got some issues. It kind of feels... I've heard a lot of people describe it as training day and fantasy, so I guess I should go back and talk about <laughs> I love it. training day, but... Essentially, yeah, it's Lord of the Rings meets training day in a lot of ways. It's... Yeah, I, basic plot involves right the two cops, a human and an orc, trying to find like a wand smuggler or something like that. Sort of like that. I mean, 
the one of the biggest strengths and the reason this movie made my top 10 is the incredible world building is this movie opens just with a series of scenes of everyday life in this world's la you see things like these huge murals saying the dark lord will return you see signs like orc lives matter you see uh fashion posters for elves it's really building this interesting world and you don't quite know what's going on and this movie gives you bread crumbs throughout and then it jumps into the main plot where will smith has been partnered with an orc and this is a big deal because this is the first orc to ever have served on the police force and there's a serious stigma about the orcs in this world because apparently thousand thousand years ago i think they said there was someone called the dark lord and there was a big epic war and the orcs chose yeah 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 the orcs chose the wrong side and have been paying for it ever since and there's a lot of race overtones like some serious racial overtones going here which i feel is incredibly relevant today because the you way know, the orcs Zootopia was so high up on my list the year that came out. Yes, and I have referred to this as Zootopia for adults. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Zootopia was already pretty adult, but I get what you mean. I well, Zootopia is a topic for another time. I won't get off topic on that one. So it does that whole. It's a similar plot as Zootopia. There's a lot of you know talking racial tension, racial issues, and it's set in L.A., which grounds it even further in this race issues and. Will Smith is trying to get rid of his this orc. He doesn't want him on his squad. And the orc is trying to fit in. He's not welcomed by the orcs. He's not welcomed by the humans. But he's still trying to be a good guy. And what ultimately happens is they end up getting caught in this plot where they find a magic wand, which is, again, probably this movie's weakness. They could have called it anything else, but it is what it is. Playing into that fantasy, so. Yeah, and the wand will can be used as the last wand they need to resurrect the Dark Lord. And now they are caught in a three-way, four-way, ever-increasing escort mission uh. with the magic wand because everyone wants this wand and again that's where the movie's strengths come in the action sequences are pretty impressive i mean it's a david ayer film he knows how to do gritty action just look at fury well okay i, I have a question for you about this do you think that bright is a good movie that has been uh maligned for reasons unrelated to its quality or do you think it's a bad movie that you happen to like for personal reasons i think it's a good movie that has just gotten unnecessary criticism because the other thing is this is a netflix film but this has some of the best special effects i've seen in a movie in a long time like legitimate practical effects you get a budget then Oddly enough, considering that Will Smith hasn't put out something very universally liked in a A while. (laughs) And I kind of feel like there's a lot of these things going against it. And most of all, this movie is fun. Because the whole time you're watching, you're trying to piece together the mythology of this universe. And trying to figure out, okay, how is this different from our universe? Well, the one thing I can definitely say about it is that in a year where Shadows of War was released, it can't be the worst thing with orcs in it. (laughs) I don't typically think that a sequel guarantees good movie, but 
apparently it did well enough for Netflix to sign a sequel. So that'll be interesting just because the world alone is interesting enough that you want to see more of this. Certainly a good concept. So that's why I gave it number nine. It's a solid film. It's got some great potential and it was a ton of fun. And of course, as always, practical effects, we don't see enough of them. True enough. Well, uh, my number nine was uh, Wonder Woman. Basically the only reason why the DCEU is still standing in any shape. I mean, admittedly, I didn't see Justice League, mostly because the state of the DCEU, but I enjoyed Wonder Woman a lot. And uh, I mean, it's just a, it's kind of like Captain America and Thor put together, which is not an original thought. I've heard that said all over, but it's, I think, pretty accurate for what the movie is. So, Well, let's, I mean, that was a movie no one thought was going to work when it was first announced. I mean, it just, it didn't seem like Warner Brothers knew what they were doing. Gal Gadot did not. This was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Gal Gadot did not seem like a smart choice. And it came out to be a lot of people's number. You know, I, I know that made a lot of people's top 10 this year. Yeah, it's in mine. So yeah, I, I do think I do think a lot of people have criticized that the the ending, like the last third, really kind of lost track of what it was doing. I I think I can understand that, especially because the best scene of the movie is you know in the second act, which, which is No Man's Land. Yeah, but I but I do really like what they they did with the mythology. I I personally think that um I like. Wonder Woman's comic origin a lot more since it's not based on a masculine figure because Wonder Woman is kind of, you know, like the feminine figure, but but it's not like it damaged the story for me, and I, and I enjoyed what they did with Ares, which, like, and I actually didn't, and so I was, I mean, not until, like, a couple minutes before it happened, so it was close enough to me that it wasn't like a, oh, I saw this coming a mile away, but I, I really dug it, so. Huh? All right, for me, uh, my number eight film of the year was Annabelle Creation. I don't know if you saw the first Annabelle movie or not. Franchise? Mm -hmm. I didn't catch that. What would you say, man? Yeah, the Annabelle. That's like the doll. The evil doll, yes. That started in The Conjuring, was creepy as hell, and then had a terrible movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I went and saw it with some friends... Because we were all excited because we loved The Conjuring. We loved James Wan. He's a fantastic director. We saw his name in the credits. And we watched Annabelle and went, oh, wow, that was god-awful. So when Annabelle Creation got announced, I was going, how is this uh, going to work? Because they kind of tied it up in a bow. um, And I didn't really understand how they were going to, you know, make a movie out of this. I mean, you share whatever you want about that movie, uh, because I have nothing to say about it. I'm I'm not really into horror movies in general. It's just not. I mean, other than some classics like Phantasm and Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't. I didn't watch The Conjuring, so I had no reason to care about Annabelle. So, so you share whatever you want to say. I am a huge, huge horror movie fan um conjuring is one of my favorite movies james wan is one of my favorite directors and this movie i know it not only surprised me it surprised a lot of critics because a lot of critics are like great i have to go see this movie because i'm a film critic and then they came out reviews going that was surprisingly good and i have to agree it had some genuinely terrifying moments i mean 
some serious heebie-jeebie moments. And I think the biggest point in its factor, or favorite point in its favor, is that it has a very similar style to James Wan's uh, style of filmmaking, with not a lot of jump scares. He takes out the music a lot, so you know you don't have, you can't hear the music beat to go, okay, there's a scare coming, or this is going to happen. And they managed to tie it into the entire series thus far and have it work. I mean, for better or worse, they are building their own cinematic universe, and seeing as how nearly every other cinematic universe has failed thus far, but somehow the Conjuring verse is still going is, I think, kind of a testament to this film. Sure. <laughs> they are one of the only cinematic universes that has managed to make it work. And work quote unquote but yeah quote unquote i mean one movie bad one movie good (laughs) and they did a scary doll film that wasn't cliche ridden and boring i do have a close friend who has like an actual phobia of porcelain dolls and the like and uh i I have many pranks in store for him possible but i also think he might actually uh, be violent with me where I'd do any of them. So. <laughs> I advise showing him this movie. It will, it'll get a reaction. Like I said, I don't have a fear of dolls, but there were some serious heebie-jeebie moments and not all just doll related. All right. All right. Well, my number eight was a uh, war for the planet of the apes, which I think is kind of funny because I think it's actually a better movie than my seven, six and five, but it, it didn't really stick with me. Like, when I think about it, I, I think it's a great movie. But when I sat down to make my list, like, I first filled in all the movies I was thinking about, and I didn't remember it until I went and looked at what movies came out this year. So I had to bump it down just because it didn't actually, like, stick in my brain. But the, uh, yeah, you know, Andy Serkis is great. Woody Harrelson is always amazing. Uh, many people have talked about how the movie is pretty inaccurately titled, uh, you know, because it's not really about a war. It's more like um, Schindler's List with apes or something. Uh, I have some thoughts on the title, but I'll save it because that movie comes up on my list a little bit later, and I do want to make a point about that. Well, sure, then I'll I'll just end my little uh, thing on it by saying that I think, like I said, I think it's a better movie than a lot of what's following, but it didn't stick in my brain. And it didn't stick my brain nearly as much as uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes did, for instance. So I had to bump it down just because of that. Fair enough. I mean, that is a big deciding factor for me in my movies is how well do I remember this movie after I've gone out of the theater? So seven. my number seven, kind of surprising if you know me, was Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> uh, okay. I Thor is my favorite superhero. Mm-hmm. I like Thor The Dark World, despite the negative criticism against it. Probably my least favorite MCU movie, but... There's weaker ones for me. It's on the weaker end, but it's still got a lot I like. And I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. It was a great Hulk movie. (laughs) Uh, It was Planet Hulk, yeah. (laughs) You know, I I found out recently that the reason why uh, Hulk actually hasn't had a movie is because there's, like, a rights reason. Like, there's an actual the rights to a Hulk movie reason why they can't Universal owns the distribution rights. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't really know how that's still a thing, but it's kind of what's tying up Namor as well. Yeah, so like, it's a great Hulk movie. That whole, everything happening on uh, Sakaar and the whole stuff with Hulk, fantastic. 
I mean, it's one of the best looking Marvel movies to date. Oh, definitely. It's bright, it's colorful, it's engaging, it's energetic. Plus it's got gold bloom at some of his gold bloomiest. Yeah, they use their gold bloom as you should use your gold bloom. Let him just be goofy. <laughs> uh, the action throughout that movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is some of the best action in a Thor movie. From a director that's not really known for doing action. He's kind of done for doing quirky indies. So I think he really had a great seller. The story that I we can't really talk about too much, but it's got a really engaging, interesting story. And there's some serious revelations about Asgard and about Thor and about his lineage and about all of that. That's really, I didn't see coming. I thought was really cool. Well, I, I love that the ending is a very, um, it's very anti-ending. And it's doing one of those things, someone pointed this out to me, but Marvel is making a habit out of taking famous comic stories and taking their names, applying them to movies, and then having the movie's story only be like very loosely connected, but enough to where you can see it. With you know this example being, or this being one of the best examples, considering that the original a comic story of Ragnarok uh, was so different than what they chose to do here, but you can totally understand why that decision was made. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on the whole thing. I would have liked to see the Ragnarok comic story adapted, but this one also works for me. So six of one, half dozen of the other. Uh, But you bring up the other really good point, and the reason this movie plays so high is it has real lasting stakes. Characters die <laughs> and stay dead. That's true. <laughs> the There is a finality to the ending. There is no real going back. And that's something we haven't really seen in Marvel movies thus far. There's, well, I mean, they've had, they've been good, but... Varying degrees. Yes, but this movie is the first movie, in my opinion, that feels like it has real lasting stakes to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the I love. Only... I also love that it made me laugh, like actually laugh out loud. <laughs> there was some good comedy in there, but that kind of goes back to why this isn't higher on my list. Is this movie really avoids any serious moments in order to have another cheap joke? No, which doesn't bother me, but that's because that's it what I'm, does I'm, for I'm me, and especially for. the ending. That ending was so dramatic and poignant and perfect, and to me, it's spoiled by a joke. Uh. I feel like the poignancy is still there, but I get what you mean. And, I mean, the other things are minor nitpicks. I didn't like how they handled uh, Executioner. Sure. I'm a big fan of his in the comics. I didn't really like how he was handled. I didn't like how Odin was handled. But these are all minor nitpicks. The <laughs> biggest issue, in the re- like I said, the reason it doesn't place higher is it's got some the tonal issues are a bit off for me. Like, Darn. for every really heavy, dramatic scene... It feels like they cut to a cheap joke before it had time to sink in. And that's my only real problem, and that's why that didn't place higher for me. Okay. Well, my number seven, and this one is... <laughs> I, I don't know what the right word for it, but is Hey Arnold, the Jungle Movie. Like I said, not a better movie than War for the Planet of the Apes, or Wonder Woman, or even the Lego Batman movie. But it's been... 2017? It's been like 15 years since the last material for Hey Arnold was made. And this gave me closure, and it gave, like, yeah, it's a cartoon movie. It's got a lot of problems, but even for a cartoon movie, I feel like it, it was pretty enjoyable, and, like, I, I, I really got into it. So, what can I say? I'm, I'm a sucker for, for closure. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, and as I've said before, I was not a huge Hey Arnold fan as a kid, but anything that can take me back to my nostalgic roots, I'm all like, for. Like, it got me back on the Hey Arnold kick, as in I'm rewatching the show, as in I went on and bought the whole DVD collection, so... And let's hope they make more. I mean, there's... Can we get a Gargoyles movie? I mean, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pro that idea. There's plenty of an old cartoon nostalgia to mine that you can make cheap a hand-drawn animation is still a big seller for a lot of our generation i think yeah I, i've really got nothing to say about hey arnold the jungle movie though because it is a movie for hey arnold fans like if you haven't seen the entirety of the show or at least one very specific episode of the show then it's gonna not make like any sense to you this is a a passion project for the fans that have kept it alive and and that's so if you are a fan as I said last time, support it in one of the legitimate ways, like the Nick app or something like that. It, but definitely see it. If you're not a fan, skip it. All right. So uh, number six for me was Wonder Woman, which I'm surprised placed higher on my list than yours. I am surprised about that, too. Um, a lot of the things you've already said, I agree. It was it worked both as a Wonder Woman movie and a DC movie. The action was great that second act no man's land was incredible plus who knew gal gadot was going to be so like when i heard they cast a model to be wonder woman like the most important female superhero period i was super skeptical but damn man gal gadot is pitch perfect yeah i gotta say i was in that same camp i was like well this is another terrible casting by dc and this is a pity it should have been any number of people but no she does a great job and she brings real heart to the role i mean what i like is she brings a real gravitas like when she mm -hmm. speaks you can really feel like this is in a, like a, a figure of myth like the stories that you know you hear about she belongs in them and she just carries herself in such a, a strong way and i just want to talk about the color palette of this movie and how perfectly blended it is from the, uh, cinema, the, from the cinematography point of view how on the island it's super nice pretty and colorful and then in the war it's super damp grungy and depressing yes <laughs> and how wonder woman still even in this dark grungy is both metaphorically and actually this glowing beacon of hope completely agree and if you've studied anything about world war one you know that was a real real nasty war i mean well, nastier I like than a lot of people even recognize uh, understand well i like the choice of world war one uh, the great war over world war ii because you know yeah if you study history more then this next line isn't correct but in the mind's eye world war ii is a lot more cut and dry there's a very defined villain or set of villains but it's not the case with world war one it's more like the result of you know few decades of just like simmering complicated political relationships and no one was really on the right side <laughs> yeah and that's actually one of the movie's weaknesses i think by is... making the german guy like pretty much a straight villain yes because historically, he wasn't a straight villain, but even putting that aside, and the movie can't really decide on its message. Is the message that war is bad because Ares is making it that way? No. Or is it bad because, you know, humanity falls towards these tendencies? And if it wants to do that, then it it never really represents the allies being as bad as the Axis powers. I agree. 
Because yeah, to me, the 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 side that the movie comes down on is very cut and dry. With that, it, it's people. It's not you know a, a puppeteering force that causes war atrocities. It's just people. But yeah, painting the um the German guys or the German side a lot more like straight villains than the Allies does kind of muddy that particular message. So. And its other weakness is you had three really interesting side characters in the commandos, we'll call them, that never really got developed, I thought. And that was kind of a bummer. I mean, the sniper with PTSD. I barely remember him. So Exactly. It's set up. It's really interesting. She has this great moment with Diana, and they never do anything with it. And it kind of bums me out. It's like, that would have really been interesting, because he sees himself as a coward. Mm, okay, I do remember. I remember the... The, the his big scene okay yeah yeah okay and they're setting it up but they don't really do anything with it and that kind of bums me out and then of course i fall inside the third act reveal is dumb <laughs> i'll disagree with you on that but sure funny because i put it uh, lower on my list but i don't have a problem with the third act <laughs> so. the third act is probably the biggest weakness it's the only reason this movie did not place higher for me is the big third act reveal and for yeah. me it lets all the air out of the film <laughs> Okay, man. And it could be that you pointed out you go from no man's land to that, and it's a bit of a tonal shift. Uh, certainly. Well, plus also having, uh, like, they really didn't need to have the big comic book uh, fight, really, because this is a movie about war and how humans relate to war and how Diana relates to, like, how she's learning this lesson. So, like, I, there's this, I, I think that people who are making these comic book movies need to really get it in their heads that you don't need every comic movie to be an action movie i mean the no mm -hmm. man's land scene aside you didn't need to end it with like the big you know superheroes fighting this could have been a fantastic war movie uh, the other thing though this is a minor nitpick and it's just kind of stuck at the back of my head and there's nothing they could have done about this but where was diana during world war ii yeah uh <laughs> people they, that up. i don't have they, an explanation for that i don't think anyone does and i don't think they and this is probably something that only you know people that think too much about movies think of but they went through all of this setting up diana as the beacon of hope the defender of man and she's going to stick around and defend mankind and then opted out for the rest of history until justice league the closest i could come up with would be the idea that the the lessons in one woman the movie basically instilled in her this idea that war of that caliber isn't you know controlled by a single force that you can you can deal with so when she saw world war ii happening it was like this is humans fighting themselves and i'm not getting involved this time because there's not a an aries to to deal with i mean that's super weak justification yeah there's there's not a good justification but it's just one of those kind of things that's kind of stuck at the back of my head it's like wait wonder woman ignored the holocaust um <laughs> yeah. this is why we said it during world war ii we get to skip that little bit still great movie i'm looking forward to the sequel um yeah. i think that patty jenkins was a real surprise director on that one and again gal gadot surprisingly fantastic choice uh, my six, we can basically skip over because my six is Star Wars Last Jedi, which we talked at length about already. Yeah, is there anything else you really want to say about that? Not anything more than I think I already said. Uh, yeah. Other than um, I, it's this high up because I feel like uh, it's a movie that gave me a lot to think about and I still am like willing to, like, <laughs> fight's not the right word, but like talk with people over its merits and I feel like that 
the fact that it's so divisive is actually kind of a point in its favor because it's taking uh, you know a lot of risks and doing things that are you know ruffling feathers and it's better to have a movie be divisive than boring right which is the worst yeah. thing a movie can be so yeah exactly the worst thing a movie can be is boring you know if you really want to hear our in-depth thoughts about it go back and watch last week's show we talked about it at length and went over the nitty-gritty details <laughs> so i guess we will jump to my number five kingsman the golden circle mm. um for me, I instantly fell in love with the first movie because my mom loved James Bond movies, and I grew up watching them. Seconded. So to see a callback to the classic days of Bond with one of my favorite directors at the helm. Oh, the I first adore movie Kingsman a, 1. <laughs> yeah, this movie was a slam dunk for me. Uh, this movie does a lot better than the first one, but it also has some issues. But... Ultimately, the reason this one is number five, I walked out of that movie with a big old happy smile on my face, and I still crack up laughing every time I think about Elton John. <laughs> and I get a little bit teary-eyed when I hear uh, West, the song West Virginia. Um, great action, again. Uh, really smart social commentary that I think went over a lot of people's heads that judge this a bit harshly. I saw a lot of people, the thing they didn't like were the whole plot about okay, well, why is it all focused around this drug dealer trying to take over the world, and why are they imprisoning people? So I thought, real smart social commentary. Um, I know I'm in the minority. I'm okay with Channing Tatum not really being in that movie that much. I don't consider, I don't consider that a spoiler, because if you're going in solely to see Channing Tatum, me telling you he's not there that much isn't going to ruin the movie for you, I don't think. He's awesome at what he's in, at least. Yeah, um, the return of a certain character didn't really work for me. I think that was unnecessary and weakened the story overall, but it is still a wickedly funny, incredibly done, just kick-ass classic James Bond movie. Um, that whole movie could have been better suited by not, uh, not bringing back uh, Colin Firth, as much as he was awesome in yeah. the first movie. I feel That's like. the movie's only His real presence. weakness I can think of. I'll yeah, I saw Kingsman 2, and it is my second least favorite movie of the year, but not for any one particular reason. I just found it mostly boring. And really? Yeah, uh, largely uh, like a lot of Eggsy's stuff, other than some great comic beats. Um, it was either like already done and felt like they were just stretching for something for him to grapple with that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, so pretty much any time like he was dealing with that kind of stuff, I, I was really pulled out of it. Um, you know, a lot of the comedy was just fine, but that was it just fine. I didn't have any like gut busting moments like in Kingsman one, when the head start blowing up, like I lost my damn mind. <laughs> I didn't have anything like that in Kingsman two. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. I think it's a fine action movie. So fair enough. So my number five was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which is... It's funny, because in a lot of ways, it's like a lot like Kingsman, in that it's a um, it's you know an action movie that's way over the top with... Uh, it's a sequel to something that was like a surprise already, but Guardians, I feel like, just does everything in that regard just better. Like, the emotions that do happen are a lot more, like, empathetic. I can latch onto them. The comedy that happens made me actually, like, split my sides, like, rolling. 
uh, I love uh, ego. And again, I, I love using this term, but the, the price of admission alone worth it for the, the scene when ego gives his revelation and star Lord's response. Oh like, yeah. It's one of my favorite five seconds of movie this entire year. <laughs> so probably my uh, second. Where favorite. does the original guardians rank on your overall rank, your top 10, your top five. Oh, it's probably in my top five. I would say. Yeah. Same for me. So you had high hopes going in for this one, right? Yeah. I certainly said I would. I did. Uh, would you say it's better than the first one? I'd say that since the first one, I had no expectations going other than it'll probably be a just fine Marvel movie and it ended up being like amazing. I probably had a better experience seeing Guardians Galaxy 1, but as a movie, Guardians Galaxy Volume 2 is so much more like gripping to me. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more heart to it. And so for that reason, I'd say I think it is a better movie. Yes. All right. Uh, my number four was Spider-Man Homecoming. And mm. this one really, really surprised me because a lot like Batman, I was so tired of Spider-Man. I mean, I grew up watching the Saturday morning cartoons. I'd seen the Raimi movies. I'd seen the Garfield movies. Yeah. I was done with Spider-Man. I thought I had seen all the Spider-Man I needed. And then he showed up in Civil War and I'm like, okay. This is interesting, but I still don't think there is enough untapped story elements to do a Spider-Man movie. Plus, you're working with Sony, and Sony has only half gotten Spider-Man right up to this point. <laughs> but for me, the biggest selling point and the reason that this movie works is Tom Holland as Peter Parker. He is able to get both parts of Spider-Man. He's got the nerdy, goofy Peter Parker, and he's got the cool, sarcastic Spider-Man. And best of all, they got an interesting and intimidating villain in the Vulture, which on paper sounds kind of tricky. It's an old guy in a bird suit. Let's make that creepy. And it does. It works. Um, I know you're a huge Spider-Man fan. How do, um, Agree, Spider disagree? Spider-Man didn't make my top ten. It was it, if i extended it out it would be number 11 like and as you said yeah i am a huge spider-man fan like the only comics that i purchased growing up were spider-man comics because i adore spider-man the original raimi movies uh the first two are two of my favorite movies period uh, the third one I actually think is defensible. It, it has a lot of problems, but I feel like people uh, crap on it unduly. It's personally. got good bones. There are yeah. there's good story elements there. Yeah, and I can point to like you know three very obvious issues that would have been easy to fix. Anyway, besides the point, we're not talking about that movie. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> oh, Andrew Garfield's The Amazing Spider-Man is one of my most hated movies. Like literally, if I put out my my most hated movies of all time, it would either be number one or two, along with uh the king has risen and, and like good burger like I, I hate the amazing spider-man so much because they basically turn my favorite superhero into edward cullen and it drives me crazy so when he was I, a good spider-man though no no you don't he think he was a good spider-man he had one scene where he was pretty good at spider-man go back and rewatch the amazing spider-man every other scene he's just a insufferable uh, anyway I, I think we got to come back to this one at some point there seems like there's some rage that needs vented um, uh, like, when i watched it i watched that with my friend Woundvog, and he said that watching my reaction was way more interesting because he watched me like slowly turn into a, a ball of hate throughout the movie so interesting anyway 
So I didn't watch um, but... Spider-Man 2. I couldn't I couldn't put myself through it. So when Civil War happened and Tom Holland showed up, I was ab- above the moon. I was so happy. Like he was so good in the role. And then I saw Spider-Man Homecoming and I like it. I I really do. I think Tom Holland is the the best on-screen version of Spider-Man, the 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 person like Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I totally agree with that. Uh I still like the original Sam Raimi movie more. Um, and I'll get into why in a second. Uh, Michael Keaton as Vulture, perfect. Uh, yeah. And the idea of taking a a subpar villain from the comic and making more well, they already did that with Doc Ock. I mean, before the Sam Raimi movie, Doc Ock was pretty one note in the comics, so they made him way more interesting in that movie. And they did the same thing with Vulture here. My reason why Homecoming didn't make my t- 10 is it felt um what was the word um like it felt like fast food or you know or candy like there wasn't a lot of substance to it yeah exactly there was like no substance to it the 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 plot is largely concerned with you know spider-man coming to terms with being a hero on his own which fine i've talked with some of my friends about this who say that like self-identity is actually a uh, a topic that they can really get behind but for me it just felt hollow like the best example i could think of is that when the final battle between vulture and spider-man happens the what's at stake is vulture selling a bunch of stark's weapons which stark's weapons being in negative hands was something dealt with in the first iron man in the original Sam Raimi movie, when Goblin and Spider-Man have their final uh, fight in the uh, like the burned-down church, Goblin literally says, "I'm going to torture and kill Mary Jane slowly." So the stakes are extremely personal, extremely powerful, and right there in in context. And nothing that strong was in Homecoming for me. I disagree. I'm going to go to my favorite scene, and that's when Peter's trapped under the rubble. Yes, but you realize that the tableau of Spider-Man lifting the heavy things, which is a, a common uh, thing in in the comics, it, that the, it's always supposed to be a metaphor for something that he's like dealing with in the story. And so in Homecoming, the, the thing he's lifting metaphorically is supposed to be the responsibility of being a hero separate from the Avengers, because he spends the whole movie trying to be the Avenger, so now he has to do this on his own. But that's just not that catching of a like theme for me. I disagree. There's more to it than just that, I think. I think that as well as trying to become an Avenger, you also sort of get the pseudo father figure that is tony stark which i may have read more into this than is there but i feel is lending to his grieving process for uncle ben and he's looking for a mentor figure he's looking for a father figure and he wants to prove himself to tony stark and it's a moment when you are reminded that this kid is just a kid you feel his fear you feel his pain you feel sympathetic and you're like even though it grounds it that this is just a kid end of the day and to me it's not so much about doing it's this reminder that even with all the gadgets it's a kid and it blends the two halves of spider-man perfectly the cocky and the dorky together and in michael keaton you got the stoplight scene that okay but hold on if you're talking about father again like i can see what you mean i feel like they don't really touch on it well enough for it to be more than like personal experience but even that nothing in that regard to me is as powerful as the single line from the raymond movie i have a father his name was ben parker that is true that part does work um so yeah Again, I'm not, I, I mean comparing homecoming to the raymond movies 
fair. I totally accept that. And like I said, I liked Homecoming. I just felt like it was not important enough of a movie for me. But it's fine. As I said before, I think Spider-Man would actually be better suited to television, in which case you'd be able to fire off like a bunch of these kind of stories in a season, and then we'd still get the stories that I feel like uh, are a lot more deep and impactful. But that's just my dream, I guess. I can see it. But uh, yeah, I want to go back and talk about Vulture, who Michael Keaton, that's a great casting choice, but we've had great casting choice in Marvel movie villains before. But he works because he's menacing, Mm -hmm. he's relatable, and best of all, they don't kill him off so they can bring him back and build on the character later. Marvel, if you want good villains, don't kill them at the end of your movies. That's how Loki got to be a good character. You built on him. Yeah. No, like I said, I love I love Keaton as Vulture. I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So the casting is great. And again, that stoplight scene was probably one of the best examples of show don't tell in movie making I've seen in a while. Even though it pretty much was also telling, but I get what you mean. Yeah, it was a great scene. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number uh... four. This is what we're at. My number four was Logan, which I think objectively speaking was the best and i do say this with huge quotation marks superhero movie of the year because really it was a western that just cast a, a character we know from superhero movies and that's partially why it was so amazing uh and of course seeing wolverine finally actually cut people up <laughs> i mean technically he did it in x-men 2 there was blood yeah, though iffy <laughs> So I think it's great that, you know, we've seen Hugh Jackman as this role for, what was it, like 16 years, something like that? And a long-ass time. And lived in, in the performance. That girl who plays X-23 just just, just dominates Daphne every Keen. scene she's in. And I, I, I want to see her in more stuff. Yes. Let's get next 23 movie. So, no, I, don't have I oh, go ahead. can't agree more. Um, I can't say much because, again, that movie will be cropping up later on my list. But uh, yeah, uh, just an incredible movie that I didn't think was going to work. Also, on a personal note, hearing Patrick Stewart curse is always uh, good for a giggle. Can we just admit Sir Patrick Stewart is a hilarious person? Yeah. I mean, not only is he an incredible actor, he has a great sense of uh, comedic timing. No, definitely. He's always right. had a great sense of making me time. As, as a Star Trek fan, like I can, I can even tell you that in the later seasons of Star Trek, he started they, like the writers let him tap into that a lot more. So no, he's a national treasure, and I want to see. I want to see so him do Logan, a straight up comedy. Logan isn't the highest. I'm sorry. Anyway, so Logan isn't the highest superhero movie on my list, but I think it is the best one to come out this year. Fair enough. Uh, well, when we get to number one, you can explain why number one was number one. All right, so uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 okay. is my number three. Um, I loved the original Guardians of the Galaxy. I did not think it was going to succeed at all. I thought it was too strange a concept, but it is easily in my top five. And with recent reshuffling, it may climb even into the top three of my favorite Marvel movies, mm. partially because of the heart that that movie has. And that opening scene is gut-wrenching. Oh, yeah. Totally. And it is one of the hardest gear shifts in a movie I think I have seen in a long time. Like, I thought I walked into the wrong movie when that was playing. <laughs> yeah. And I still get a little bit misty-eyed watching that one. No, I mean, I think I've seen that movie five, six times, and I still get misty-eyed with that opening. 
And I think that's this movie's biggest strength is it doubles down on that heart and that emotion in dealing with what I think is a really big topic to talk about and very important. And that is the issue of absentee parents and then having them come back into your life. Well, and especially when it's one that you've built up in your head and then to see what it's the reality of the situation. I mean, I've known a lot of people that went through that exact experience. They didn't have that parent in their life. So they idealized and built up who this person was and then to have them come in and have it not be who they or anything like they thought they were going to be and the mental effect that has on you and have all that in a superhero film with a great soundtrack and great action. Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) Not to mention uh, addressing the issues, the ideas about... uh, masculinity and the importance of a father figure in shaping your ideals of masculinity and how that can lead to a perpetual state of adolescence yeah or that great little talk gamora and nebula have that not only kind of builds up your hatred for thanos but it's like wow this is a lot of really poignant stuff for a quote-unquote superhero movie plus as a side note i have a massive crush on carrie and jillian no matter what color she is or how much hair she has <laughs> yep <laughs> so yeah, um, really, I think it's better than the first one in a lot of ways. And I love that the capstone to the whole movie, and this is something both you and I can relate to, is the idea that your family isn't who you're related to. It's who you love and who loves you. Considering that I have an absentee father who I have no interest in ever bringing back to my life, yes, I can agree with that. And I think that works for a lot of people. I mean, I know that's the case for, again, a lot of people have missing parental figure which is why i think that whether they realize it or not this movie resonated so much for so many people yeah yeah i'll totally agree and we got to see stallone again (laughs) yes always good to see him i don't know what i want i want that marvel movie next i know from interviews with james gunn that stallone has been calling up going uh so when we gonna do the next one Uh, the ravagers is like a movie i said watch that that could be interesting. Oh, and then can we talk about one of my favorite scenes, but may also be one of the darkest, when the mutiny occurs and there's all those bodies floating out there? Oh, yeah. I, I, it, it was impressive. And I got to give it to Marvel. They're really kind of going, okay, we'll try this. Let's see how this works. And I think that's moving to their benefit. I think every movie that's come in this later phase has been better than its predecessor because they're letting the directors do more of their own thing. You know, and I can totally agree with that. I, I do think every movie that so far has been a sequel to a previous movie has been better than its previous movie, in this phase, <laughs> at least. Yeah. So. And they're building on the heart and the emotion, and they're tackling heavier subjects and making and getting past this stigma that comic book movies are just dumb pop. Well, I mean, when Marvel is the, the massive thing that it is right now, it's it's become i mean it's not quite star wars like level because it doesn't have the history yet at least in cinema but it has that same kind of like all right this is a cultural thing at this point even if you don't see the movies you have a general understanding of what's going on in them yeah and i think again that's what this movie is a great example of this is a independent filmmaker making a big budget film and still keeping the heart of an indie yep yep so yeah great fantastic movie well uh, my number three i had to circle back something we already talked about was thor ragnarok uh, which like i said is my my favorite comic book movie of the year even though i don't think it's a better movie than logan i, I well i think logan is a better movie thor ragnarok was 
the most fun I had in the theater this year, period. And that tonal thing we're talking about, like, I totally understand why it it lowers it on your list, because we've had this kind of discussion before with other movies. Like, you can really get taken out of the experience by, you know, things like overt jokes and comedy in places you don't feel it's uh it's it belongs and i can i can understand that but when i went in to see thor ragnarok you know i i wanted to have fun and thor ragnarok is the most like comic book feeling of any of the marvel movies to me and it was just it was just that it was fun there were uh plenty of moments that i feel like did still tug at my heartstrings not enough to make it like nothing compared to logan again but then giving me like a comedy there's an old idea one of my favorite comedians uh is christopher titus and he has this concept where if you bring people down to the dark place and then you bring them back then the laughs are bigger so for me it's not a matter of comedy damaging the dramatic feeling because that's saying that the comedy is doing a disservice to the drama for me it's the drama acting in service to the comedy by making the comedy better by bringing you to the dark place first at least that's how it works for me so yeah and i think there's one thing we're both in agreement on that that was the most comic booky movie thus far and i think we can both agree we wanted the other thor movies to have that level of fun and acceptance of its world agreed considering that thor one and two basically spend almost no time in in space or in the fantastical space and avoiding the magic and avoiding the mythology which i still like both thor movies but i really wish that they had taken more of this movie's love of everything comic booky you know what i latched on to that reminded me of a very specific conversation that you and i had in the past because in uh thor the dark world specifically uh there's a conversation between odin and loki where odin says something along the lines of um, they may see us as gods, but we die just like they do. And Loki's like, give or take 5,000 years, which is a funny exchange, but it, it furthers that concept that in Thor 1, uh, the Avengers, Thor 2, the Asgardians are treated like an alien race, that uh, they really go out of their way to not Hammer actually... that home, not gods. Exactly. But this movie was like, no forget that we're gonna straight up have odin say to thor are you the god of hammers no you're the god of lightning like they all recognize and come are upfront by the fact that they are gods and that yeah. alone was like thank you <laughs> and again i think that is marvel giving more creative power to their directors to go make this your own we will give you the canvas and the general layout but we want you to put your own individual stamp on this and I think I like this director. I mean, Taika, Taika Waititi has got some has some really good quirky comedies, and visually he fits. And even though I have my issues with this, I got to appreciate that he let Thor be Thor. He let him be this powerhouse. Not he let him mention, be a god. Yeah, not to mention that before this point, like I liked Thor well enough in the previous movies, but I felt like he wasn't really given a proper personality. In his movies, at least, he was more defined by how he was reacting to, like, the things around him. You know, Loki and Odin were already much bigger personalities than he was. 
But this, we're going to pin down who Thor is as a character. He's the member of the Avengers that you want to take to like the bar and get wasted with. He's like, he's basically like Tony, but his arrogance is more like, uh, for lack of a better term, a show. Like, I get the feeling that Tony, while having deep seated issues, is really the as arrogant as he is. He's just also compassionate. But uh, Thor, like, he recognizes what his station is supposed to be. So he puts on these airs. And so those moments in the movie where he drops them to reveal who he really is, his insecurities, his fun personality, like, that really makes him more of a character yeah it definitely it develops him more as a character and i'm really curious to see what changes carry over into infinity wars yeah agreed i mean that's all i I have to say about ragnarok yeah um my just little finish up on that is it's they've definitely gone too far to turn back character wise for infinity wars so i'm really curious to see and of course there's my favorite line in that movie i was falling for 30 minutes yes it took me a second. Uh, uh, that's my second favorite line. My, my oh, favorite. that line killed me every time. Like I said, I'm that no, my, perfect. My favorite, sorry to talk over each other. Anyway, yeah, my favorite line in the movie was the, um, if you touch one hair upon the head of Thor, you will feel the wrath of the God of Thunder. Please, old man, don't cut my hair. Yeah. Okay. Um. So number two for me was War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm. And before I go on, I got to thank my mom for this one. Because it is only because of her that I saw the original Planet of the Apes movies. Um, she I grew is. Up on them, so. I didn't. Well, I did, in the extent that my mom loves sci-fi and horror, and those are two of my favorite genres because of her. And I just remember one day, uh, she said to me, "You like monkeys, right?" I said, "Yeah, monkeys are awesome." <laughs> okay, you should watch this movie called Planet of the Apes. And I was instantly in love with it. Cheesy dialogue and all. And the irony is, when I went and saw this movie in theaters, it was with my mom again. Didn't plan it that way. It just worked out. Sounds like a good family outing. Yeah, it was, you know, total surprise, uh, coincidence that I ended up watching this with my mom. And yeah, this movie was incredible. Um, the cinematography was amazing. That scene in the beginning when the apes come riding out of the mist literally gave me goosebumps. Andy Serkis, I don't know what I can say that hasn't already been said. This man deserves an Oscar. I mean, I recognize Oscars are essentially pointless, but he well, he deserves some level of recognition yes. for this performance. But still do pretty much everyone involved in the building of Caesar. Like, oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of people involved in bringing that character to life. So Yeah. But, I mean, you just look at what he did with limited vocabulary and where most of what he does has to be done through body language and facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And I never felt confused as to what was going on in his mind. Yeah. Um, the CG, which we still are having some god-awful CGI. I'm looking at you, Justice League. <laughs> it is funny to me when, like, you can have a movie, and I'm just saying this based on the trailers, but like cyborg cgi and justice league i was like how can you have cg look that bad and have war for the planet of the apes look that good yeah because i want to specifically point out maurice the orangutan there are moments i will legitimately say i had to pause and remind myself he's not really there i thought a lot of that was like uh wasn't that practical for a lot of it though no that was all 100 percent cg oh color me even more impressed 
Yeah, like I said, that I, is. I recognize that War for the Planet of the Apes is a better movie than like my my listing would give it. I just it didn't stick with me. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, if the movie we're not going to give an Oscar to Andy Serkis, let's give an Oscar to the effects people. I mean, if Suicide Squad can win an Oscar for best effects, <sighs> let's give it to Planet of the Apes. Um, Woody Harrelson as the Colonel. <laughs> great um this is another great example of a complex villain i mean the movie goes out of its way to make you hate this guy i mean you got the ruthless executions you've got his whole neo-nazi aesthetic um just he's a straight up terrible person but at the same time you understand his motivation and you almost sympathize with him and i think the best uh way for me to express why this was such a powerful performance for me is watch him an interview about this movie then watch him in the movie <laughs> they are two different people well i think uh, that's what happens when you get a really good actor uh who i don't know if he did this on purpose but who seemed to model his performance largely after a great marlon brando performance so yeah they're both equally crazy yeah but like i didn't even realize that until uh we were talking just now like i didn't think in the movie how much in common uh, it has with heart of darkness so mm -hmm. that's totally what uh harold's the colonel's like compound is so. yeah um the other thing is a lot of times you get to the third movie and they're trying to tie everything together and there's still loose story threads all over the place this one i think wrapped it up i mean all the big questions for me are answered how did the apes take over why can't humans talk um how did we get to the point that we lost to apes where does the religion of caesar come from it's all wrapped up neatly in the end and if they never did another movie which i hope they don't this is it this is a perfect i can watch this trilogy and then jump into the original planet of the apes and have no problem uh and then the coba subplot i thought that was a really cool callback to the last one because yes. it builds Caesar as a character because it shows that he's struggling with the guilt and he doesn't want to become Koba, but he feels himself almost being drawn that direction in order to save his people. I was really happy to see Koba because like Koba was one of my favorite characters in any eight movie simply because he's such a interesting like villain. And yeah, he's, he's definitely a piece but like you get why he feels the way he feels. And I, I found him super fascinating. So mm -hmm. uh, my only problem with this movie was that I felt the symbolism of their Colonel being meant to represent neo-Nazis was a bit heavy handed. I mean, when he steps out shirtless into the compound, shaving his head, I was like, okay, yeah, we get it. Nazis. Gulags. Well, I think that was specifically to, I mean, other than what you just said, I think, putting in the mind of a, a fascist and by using iconography reminiscent of the most famous fascist in history is the quickest way to do that. Yeah. And for me, I prefer a bit more subtlety in my movies. It's a, it's a minor nitpick. It's the only thing I didn't really like. I do love the joke they made about how the apes would build the wall. <laughs> that was a fun little bit of social commentary. So yeah, definitely a solid film for me. I don't know what else to say except thanks mom. <laughs> I approve. So my, my number two movie of the year, which is actually the one that I find the most interesting, I think the one that will stick with me the longest, like my number one, I liked a lot more uh, as an experience, but my number two, which is Mother, is a movie that is Controversial, so... to say the least. Exactly. It's, it's so unique 
in what it was doing. And it's one of those movies that, like, if someone put it really high up on their worst movies of the year, I wouldn't argue because I can totally understand why someone would feel that way. It, like, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I agree with everything you're saying in that I've got the story beats and I've heard enough to know this is a good movie but it's not one I'm going to like, and I'm not surprised that you like it. Mother is a grenade that was lobbed into, like, theater audiences. It, it, it is going out of its way to, like, shake certain foundational beliefs that a lot of the country has. But it, the funny thing is, a lot of that is actually surface-level stuff. Like, without getting into anyone who hasn't seen Mother, who likes anything darren aronofsky's done so things like uh black swan requiem for a dream uh the fountain if you like anything like that you got to see mother and don't and go in knowing as little as possible yeah trust me and uh it's not a horror movie it was marketed as a horror movie it's not oh yeah the trailers do not do it at all any justice but anyway so so mother is doing something on the surface that is like very for lack of a better term offensive but it's doing it in service to something more subtle, which I feel like it gets lost in the conversation. Because Aronofsky, if you look at his work, he has an obsession with the relationship between the artist, the art, and the audience. Like, all of his movies have something to do with that to, to varying degrees. And Mother is, like, the most distilled version of that. He, he is telling a, a story about uh, the obsessive artist and what that does to the for lack of a better term the people around them and what that does to the the audience and how that ties back into the the first people and the the artist it's just it's like layers of meaning and it's all done through a a metaphor that even if you don't get all that artist stuff the metaphor itself is super fascinating and like super interesting to see so yeah there's a lot to digest and pick apart with this movie I know a lot of people that didn't like it, and the reason I don't want to see it is it can come off as a bit pretentious. Oh, no, it's totally pretentious, but it, it's pretentious. And that turns in, a lot of people off. To me, it's pretentious in the same way that Queen is pretentious as a band. Like, it's just uh, big and confident in itself, and that confidence just kind of, like, bleeds into everything it does. There, and, I, and you know me, I hate, like... Uh, elitism and even though i can be accused of it sometimes and so pretension to me for the most part is something that really like turns me off but if it's pretension in service of like something greater and in this case uh it's thematic pinnings then it it can it can elevate something and just for the same reason i love queen songs because it just has that it's got the right balance yeah. All right. So before we get to number one, let's go through our honorable mentions real quick. Um, for me, these are movies that I saw this year that I really liked, but they didn't make a big enough impact for one reason or the other to make it onto my list. Um, one of those films for me was Baby Driver. I am not a huge Edgar Wright fan. For the record, Edgar Wright is my favorite currently working director, and Baby Driver is at the top of my must watch list right now. So. I think you'll like it. Um, for me, it has a great, unique style uh, and a vision that fits into his uh, repertoire of films. But the reason it didn't work for me, I think personally, as much as other people was, because the soundtrack is a big part of this movie. 
and mm-hmm. I didn't know a single song from the movie soundtrack. Right. And if you take that out, it doesn't work as well. Also, and this is one of my problems, Ed, you're right. It's a bit smoltsy, cutesy, bit overly optimistically romantic. Okay. And I'm more of a dark cynic. <laughs> so yeah, that's recently, why it doesn't crack my top 10. As a side note, I was recently talking about music with some friends of mine. Because I'm into power metal right now is my favorite genre of music. And they're into like uh, more like trap rap kind of stuff. And we were talking about why. And my these friends of mine were saying they don't like power metal because power metal is extremely optimistic. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I like it. Cause it's, it's a power fantasy in music. So yeah, I totally understand the concept of like being more into uh, like dark and making you feel you know, like depression or anger or stuff like that. I, I tend to like things that build me up more to like positive emotions, but I, I get the difference. All right. Now uh, what's one of your honorable mentions? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go through all your honorables. Oh, you want to go through all my honorable mentions? All right, yeah. my next honorable mention is Dunkirk. Now, I will freely admit I am not a Christopher Nolan fan at all. I think that he recently has become highly overrated as a director. You want to talk pretentious. <laughs> I think his best films are behind him, a la The Prestige, The Incep- uh, Inception, and The Dark Knight. Prestige being my favorite of those three. Yes, that is a fantastic film. This one, to me, is the pinnacle of a Christopher Nolan film in the idiom of style over substance. This is a tragic war story that has more time focused on the setting than the characters. Well, I don't really care for war movies in general. Well, I am my father's son. We grew up watching war movies and westerns, which represents the other side of my movie interests. I got sci-fi and horror from my mother and war movie and westerns from my dad. Balanced enough. It does, nonetheless, it looks amazing as any Christopher Nolan film does. Um, You really do get the palpable sense of hopelessness that the men trapped on the beach felt, and that draws you in. Um, It does an out-of-sync storytelling method that I really found a bit jarring and I know turned a lot of people off. I, I understand why it's in there. I'm not sure how you could take it out and have the movie still work, but it doesn't work at the same time. And there's better, there's been better war movies out since and before this. Um, it was a good film, but not enough to crack my top 10. Okay. Um, next on my list was Ouija Origins of Evil. Ooh. Now, this to me is a surprise hit because the first one was utter trash, much like Annabelle. I wasn't even aware that it had a sequel. That was the thing. No one really knew this was a sequel until the end. And part of that was because most people didn't see the first one because, again, it's a garbage movie. Um, This movie has great tension, but they never really use it to pay off. I mean, it builds and builds and builds and builds, but nothing really happens. So it's never really scary. It got bumped off the list by Annabelle origins of evil because that was a much better horror film there are well there's one little touch that i loved and it's that they actually digitally inserted cigarette burns into the film which is kind of a cool back cool callback to anyone that you know watches old school film all right um next one up for me was split and this one i know is making a lot of people's top 10 list and a lot of people are talking about because it's a good Shyamalan film which is already a surprise but yes. yeah um I think this one got a bit overhyped because of its twist ending and the fact that, again, it's a good Shyamalan film. Also a hidden sequel, which is cool. Yeah. 
I think the biggest selling point of why I say go see this movie, even though it's almost it's over a year old now, is James McAvoy playing a man with multiple personality. Well, James McAvoy is just a great actor, so. Yes, but the fact that he switches between characters so seamlessly, and each one feels distinctly different from the other, that to me is really the only reason you need to see this movie. Um, the only reason, again, it's not on the top ten is it didn't really leave an impact with me outside of, wow, James McAvoy is an amazing actor who needs more roles. <laughs> Certainly true. Um, then we got Power Rangers. I know you're a Turtles kid. I'm a Power, I'm a Power Rangers kid. That's what I grew up watching. Oh, and that came out last year, right? You just it saw it this year. year. It came out this year? Yeah. Huh, okay. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. I saw that, so. It didn't do as well as they were hoping. I wasn't excited for it when I saw that it looked like the Breakfast Club remixed with Power Rangers. That's why I liked it, but sure. But that was actually a lot of what worked in this movie's favor, is the characters are likable and relatable enough that you just kind of follow along till you get to the kick-ass, big, epic action at the end. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking that with a little bit of tweaking, a sequel could fix all the movie's flaws and definitely put this in my top ten for future. Sure. Okay. Next. Um. Next. And this one, I honestly feel bad about not including, but I have my reasons. Was Get Out. Mm. Now. It's high up on a lot of lists. I know, and I felt bad about not putting this in because I felt I was betraying my status as a quote-unquote film critic by not having <laughs> this on my list. But ultimately, I decided against this movie because it didn't meet the criteria that the other ten had. In that, I haven't seen it again since. And I didn't feel the need to go out and watch it again, even though everyone's telling me it gets better with every viewing. So it, it just didn't stick with you, kind of like how War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, me. this is a fantastic film. It's a great debut film. It's a great black comedy. It's not a horror. It's a black comedy. Um, but yeah, ultimately didn't crack the top 10 just because it didn't stick with me. All right. And well, then, of course, my last honorable mention, which is another one that I know a lot of people loved, and this is my mother's influence uh, creeping in again because she's a huge Stephen King fan, and that led to a lifelong fear of clowns for me. <laughs> and that was it. Um, so I read the book on her recommendation and thinking that it would I'd be more interested in seeing the movie and it would help me overcome my fear of clowns. It didn't. And <laughs> after watching this movie, it's a good movie. I'm sure but... Plus Guard made your fear worse. Oh, so... yeah. Um, ultimately I'm forced to quote my mother in the book was better. And that's why, that's the only reason this movie didn't crack my top 10 was I was thinking, oh, that was better in the movie. And that was better in the book. And that was better in the book as well. All right. Well, in the interest of time, I'm going to, I'm going to begin by saying that I have a, a collection of movies that I'm pretty sure, uh, could be contenders for my top 10 that I didn't see, but I want to give, um, uh, a quick shout out and without talking really about them, they are get out coco blade runner 2049 jumanji welcome to the jungle the shape of water the disaster artist john wick chapter 2 the greatest showman and kong skull island i saw none of these movies but from what i know i probably would have been into a lot of them i've seen a handful of those those the handful that i've seen of those are all solid and then the rest are ones that are also on my 2c list now as for my Honorable mention is not really accurate. These are just other movies I saw. Um, so the ones that like you've mentioned that I don't need to talk about are uh, Power Rangers, which I saw, which I thought was fine, J just fine. Um, Spider-Man: Homecoming, which I already talked about, and Kingsman, which I talked about. So the only other th uh, three movies I have to talk about would be uh, Murder on the Orient Express, 
which I love a good Agatha Christie story, like whether it's her original books or, or things that are inspired by it. And that movie is carried almost entirely by a killer performance by Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. So like he's super enjoyable, but the movie otherwise feels like, um, I don't know, kind of a largely hollow adaptation. Like I feel like they uh, put scenes from story to movie without a whole lot of thought for why those scenes were important i guess it's hard to explain it it makes all the all the minor characters that aren't hercule perot feel far too uh cardboard and yeah that's why i, I can cut. see that and the problem is when you put kenneth Branagh in a film he's gonna kind of overshadow everybody else yeah anyway so in the interest of time when i move on uh another one i want to mention well i have to mention is valerian and the city of a thousand planets which the opening four minutes alone it's worth the price of admission which is fantastic and tear inducing but for like beautiful reasons the rest of the movie is visually interesting i like the largely like mass effect seeming aesthetic uh and obviously fifth element um the main characters i feel like would have been far better suited if they were treated as siblings as opposed to romantic interests which killed almost all of the like uh momentum of their dialogue anytime they try to bring that crap in uh but visually speaking it's super interesting and i i feel like the movie was at, at the very least a, a lot of risks and i feel like it was worthwhile for that but there was also no movie i saw this year that made me angrier because uh and i could suspend my disbelief I, I love star wars and star wars makes no sense from physics wise but there is at least one scene in valerian involving a, a fifth dimensional uh bizarre that hurts me on a fundamental like in a fundamental way when it comes to my understanding of physics and and how reality works so so when i left that movie that was what was on my brain more than anything else so that's why it doesn't get anywhere near my top 10 really and then the last movie that i i saw was uh and you need to shut up but um my little pony the movie which i had to see I saw it with uh, my girlfriend and a few friends of mine, and it was fine. I literally have really nothing else to say about it. it like, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was fine. That's all. <laughs> Sorry, that, that that hurt me on the inside. I know, but you wanted my lit. That's why it it was my least favorite movie of the year. And, and film was, criticism is subjective. Yeah. I said it, it was fine. All right, so let's move on to talking about our number one movie of the year. Um, a lot of this movie, uh, this episode, I have talked about how my parents have influenced my movie tastes, and my number one choice is proof that I am my father's son. My dad loves westerns. We grew up watching a lot of them, and that instilled a healthy love of them in me as well. So, yeah, my number one movie of the year is Logan. Ooh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a western. I yeah. mean, costume, design, plot, references, everything about this is a Western. And one of the things I've gotten so sick of hearing to the point that I want to punch people in the face is the uh, superhero movies are getting old. And of course, the classic superhero movies are just mindless action with no depth. And to me, Logan is a big middle finger to both those statements. Certainly true. Um, it is just, it has rich, complex characters. It challenges the idea that you can't change who you are or that you can't overcome your past it has as we said earlier fantastic performances from both sir patrick stewart and hugh jackman 
Um, a great breakout role for Daphne Keene, who plays X-23, who I think is given the monumental task of not only playing against two incredible actors, but doing it mostly non-verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great send-off to characters we've come to love. Um, and considering that this is coming from a very rocky franchise, this is not only the best superhero movie of the year, this is the best X-Men movie of all, and I'm counting Deadpool in that. Um, like I said, this movie Logan was the best superhero movie of the year. It just wasn't my favorite. So yeah, yeah it earns its R rating and not just in the gratuitous juvenile way of violence and blood, but in its mature, you know, themes that it addresses, um, like fatherhood and accepting the role of fatherhood. And again, tying back to the whole non-standard idea of family, not necessarily being people you're related to. Yeah. Because this is a movie about uh, Hugh Jackman and his pseudo-father, Professor X, a man who's not related to, and his daughter, who is a clone of him, and how they form a family unit. Yeah. <laughs> and that ending is not only full of incredible action and powerful dramatic scenes, but the at just heart-crushing ending makes my wife cry every time, regardless. And yeah, that is on the list of movies that almost make me cry because of that last line, so this is what it's like. Mm-hmm. This is a great line, yeah, certainly. And it's funny because you can interpret that line in like four different ways. That is a sign of a great movie when you can go back, rewatch it, get new interpretations. Um, my only nitpick, and again, minor nitpick, is I would have preferred Sabretooth over X24. I think that would have been a better representation of what they were going for. Well, I think X24 is a more literal representation of what they were going for. Yeah, and that kind of comes back to my personal taste. I prefer subtlety a lot of the times. And in a movie that really had a lot of subtler moments, that one feels kind of out of place to me. I did like the idea of Old Man Logan literally fighting his younger self. It's basically Logan versus the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. But that's essentially what Lo- that's why the feud between Wolverine and Sabretooth has gone on so long is because they represent the opposite ends of the spectrum. Well, not the opposite ends of the spectrum, but what one could have become. So what was your number one? My number one was It. I'll be very simple about it. You, you mentioned it in your honorable mentions, and I was like, well, you, you start to talk about it. But So I don't like horror movies. I established that already. So the fact that I liked It at all was already like shocking to me. But I loved it. I, I, I love Bill Skarsgård's performance and all the effects, like just his eyes glowing. And so, uh, the scene of him in the basement literally had my heart going a thousand miles per hour because i actually have the lassophobia i'm afraid of large bodies of water or really any body of water that i can't see through i thought the kids performances were all amazing especially for you know for their age group i especially love finn wolfhard but i mean i'm a stranger things fan so i was biased in favor of him from the beginning so uh and it's funny because you mentioned the the reason why you kept this honorable mention for you is because the book was better. Well, you know what? I never read the book, so I don't really have a frame of reference. But I do know that there are a handful of things I know happen in the book that I'm glad are not in the movie. Oh yeah, no so. that 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 scene. I'm totally fine with them cutting it out. Even Stephen King has trouble saying why he put that one in there. Yeah, but not even that. On a more basic level, when when Pennywise in the book is scaring these kids, he's doing it in very, for lack of a better term, general ways. He turns into a mummy. He turns into a wolfman. These are uh, general symbols of fear. But in this movie, they made him a lot more like a Boggart or Freddy Krueger, where he's turning into very specific things for these very specific kids latching on their very personal subjective 
fears, which not only makes the scenes more interesting from like a execution standpoint, but then also those scenes more than just being interesting from like a, a, a horror standpoint, tell us more about the the kids that they are happening to because it is a, a a lens into how their psyches work. So thus, it it ties in to characterization, which I am always a good a sucker for. So. Yeah, I agree. That was one of the elements they did do better. While, as you said, the mummy and the stuff, it's written creepily enough in the book. Uh, the fact that it is their personal fears works better. And I mentioned earlier how uh, I had like my my second favorite, you know, five seconds or my second favorite scene in all movies. Well, my favorite scene of any movie that happened this year was in it and I, everyone who's seen it knows what i'm talking about it's just finn wolfhard doing his speech that ends with and now i gotta kill this fucking clown yes i was like i was i literally fist pumped in the theater i was like yes so yeah it was my favorite movie all right so i think needless to say this was a good year for movies i mean i did a top 10 worst and th most of them weren't objectively bad they are ones that were bad but i'm going to forget about almost immediately <laughs> if i hadn't kept track of them they wouldn't have made an imp i wouldn't have 10 so that to me is a great year um the fact that we had so many honorable mentions says this was a great year and the fact that there were so many platforms to view so many great movies netflix amazon prime hulu it's a good it's a good time to be alive and enjoying film. we also had so much to say about the movies that we've gone over time <laughs> but i think it's fine for an episode like this well i figured this one was gonna be longer so let's quickly jump to our suggestions for the week um my suggestion for the week is iron dragoons by richard fox it's a book i recently picked up didn't know anything about but the best way i can sell it to you is imagine if you took 40k starship troopers um medieval crusading knights and um cavalry regiments throughout history combine them all together in an epic sci-fi action book it's a fantastic read um it's part of a trilogy i just started the first one bit of a standard you know learning the ropes training montage style stuff but really engaging and it's a fantastic interesting concept sounds good to me i'll probably look into it it's funny because my suggestion really is only in response to yours because uh i didn't really have i mean i kind of have a suggestion but you said uh so this book's iron dragoons the word dragoon i latched on to because <laughs> one of my favorite video games growing up was legend of the dragoon that's awesome literally the only connection here yeah and all i'll say is if you're a fan of jrpgs particularly things like Final Fantasy, but like me, you're fed up with Square Enix and their shenanigans, and you want to play just a good old JRPG, uh, get Legend of Dragoon. I know, I think it's still available on the PSN. I have it on my on my PSP. I also have two different hard copies of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, and my only other... Suggestion's not the right word. I, I've been playing Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy, which is a rage game and but it's also uh, a philosophy game about the nature of uh, popular culture and to challenge and and things like that uh it's like eight dollars on steam and i've put i think eight hours into it so far 
um, if you're the kind of person who throws things, stay away from it. But if you're the kind of person who likes uh, challenge and philosophy, it's it's worth looking into. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, rate, and review. As always, this has been Lord Commander Axel Wright. Be sure to, to tune in next time and stay honorable.